really trying to understand how do we anchor ourselves in equity? How do we focus all of our energy at Black Girls to STEM around designing with the specific populations of students that we serve in mind? Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on our minds. Boom. 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 Well, welcome back to Boom. We have a super exciting episode today. We are really excited to be talking with Cynthia Chapel, who is the founder and managing director for the nonprofit Black Girls Do STEM. And their vision is for a new normal where there's equitable representation of Black women across all STEM fields. So thank you so much, Cynthia, for joining us today and for the amazing work you're doing. We're really um, pumped to talk about things and excited to have you here with us. Yes. Yay. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. We saw your page on Instagram, the Black Girls Do STEM page, and we um, were so inspired by it and love the content that you're putting out, but also just um, everything that you're doing for that. Um, but before we talk about that, we we usually like to start the episode with just learning more about why you decided to or got interested in science yourself and what has like kept you interested in that field. So I am a research and development chemist by background. And so it's so funny because I've kind of taken taking some weaves and some turns. And so I started out, um, I went to undergrad at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and I was a forensic science chemistry double major. And so I thought for sure that I was going to be a forensic scientist, that I was going to be working, you know, at some sort of local state or federal agency level as a scientist doing good work in that capacity. Um, Fast forward, um, I get an internship. I work for Illinois State Police up in Chicago, where I'm originally from, and they don't hire me. And so I pretty much interviewed across the entire U.S. of A. (laughs) after undergrad and then landed completely outside of forensic science at Anheuser-Busch InBev in St. Louis, Missouri, and subsequently went back to graduate school um, and did some material polymer chemistry type research, um, which was really similar to what I wanted to do. I really liked fiber analysis as a forensic science student Mm -hmm. and wanted to do like, you know, a lot of microscopy and work with materials and material matches and paint chips. So I also was always kind of interested in these materials and fiber analysis. And so really got into the materials, chemistry and polymer science um, and subsequently entered the workforce as a research chemist working in the electrical, in the electronic markets, kind of doing that polymer synthesis, coatings, technologies, material chemistry. So that was really cool. So not too far off from the interest, but completely outside of the realm of forensic science. And I can remember being in high school and deciding that I wanted to be a forensic scientist because of like CSI and all of the TV shows. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Was it close to what you had imagined from watching this? You know, it's kind of, but not quite. It's not, it's not that exciting and raw, right? Like, 
-hmm. when you get into it, it's so as a scientist, you're so completely separated from Mm -hmm. the actual policing and law enforcement and and judicial side, right? Like you're in your own silo and by design, right? Um, To really try to be an impartial piece of the of the. Um, um, as a scientist. So it's not as involved, right? Like investigators don't walk into your lab, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen to live, you know. You know I just like, has- <laughs> yeah, I have this like vision in my head that like in order to get like more work done or feel inspired, I would just have audio from CSI being like, we just got this sample in and need you to just, you know, it's happens. like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Here's like a chain of custody that everything has to go through like three days before you get the sample. Nobody can just rush you and rush you to your lab demanding results. It doesn't quite happen like that. A lot yeah. of work, paperwork and processes, but it's definitely, <laughs> um, it's definitely exciting in the sense of like, I wanted to be, you know, a person that felt like, oh, I really love math, thought I wanted to be a biologist, but didn't want to read that much. And so chemistry was kind of like <laughs> settling, settling for me. Like, oh, you want me to read a whole book for biology? No, no, thank you. Let me go hop over here with chemistry. We can work this chemistry out. <laughs> um, really because like in high school I met this really dope engineer who told me all about her job at the time she's an aerospace engineer and worked for NASA and I really liked CSI I really liked all of the crime shows and I had originally as a kid growing up wanted to be an attorney because I was like I'm a great debater I was in high school so it was kind of like that merge of like law, justice, and then science. It was like, oh, you can be a forensic scientist and you kind of sit right in the middle of those things. So I think that was was what's my thought process. I kind of went into college saying I'm going to be a forensic scientist. Um, and so, yeah, most kids don't kind of walk into college knowing what they think they want to do. But I had a pretty good idea. It's so cool to see your journey through all those different things and like also the uh, confidence you had to just go with what you were feeling or what you felt you liked or like, I don't want to read a book, so I'm just going to go over here. Like you just (laughs) went with it. Like I feel like so many, including myself, like um, try to like kind of force something. It's like, well, I should like this or I want to like this, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, especially when it comes to like, yeah, like just memorizing things or or things like that. Sometimes I don't question it. (laughs) Wasn't going to work out. And then I kind of regretted it because I got to microbiology. Was it microbiology? (laughs) It was immunology and I loved it. I got to Mm -hmm. immunology as like a senior in college. It's just like my upper level biology elective. And I loved it. But it was like the intro biology just was never going to cut it for me. <laughs> you were already like past that. <laughs> I could not. Powerhouse of the cell. We don't need that. <laughs> I was not going to make it to, to that specialization, but. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that, that awesome path. Um, and now you're helping other um, yeah. Girls get inspired and find their ways um, through science and kind of navigating these different pathways and journeys. So, you run a nonprofit, Black Girls Do STEM, um, and this you you cite like some core values of scholarship, training, empowerment, equity, mentorship. Um, we just take us through how these play into sort of the broader vision of empowering Black girls to get involved in STEM, and maybe just a run through of different programs you're offering and events you have. 
Yeah, you know, so I told everyone that like, I never set out to start a nonprofit, right? And that's important mm-hmm. for me to always say, because I had to become sort of this, I, this entrepreneur, right? I had to put on all of these various heads. I just wanted to do programming with girls, right? Like I just wanted mm-hmm. to do something yeah. for community. Yeah. Um, and so the core values, of course, it spells out STEM, S-T-E-M, right? <laughs> so we were trying to think of something that would spell out STEM, um, but really still be true to, to what I thought that I was trying to do. And so the equity piece was was maybe added just last year um, mm-hmm. in 2020 after we were incorporated in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. But really trying to understand how do we anchor ourselves in equity and I felt like from the very beginning we have we just weren't stating it and so when I think about um, us being an educational equity center organization how do we focus all of our energy at Black Girls to STEM around designing with the specific populations of students that we serve in mind so we have to understand deeply our community dynamics, our community needs, and the actual real lived experiences of our girls to take their interests and to take what's happening in their direct school communities and their home communities, et cetera, and design, you know, STEM curriculum that's relevant, um, that's culturally aware that's engaging, that's that's exciting, but that they really guide and steer, right? And I feel mm-hmm. like we set out doing that. The very first thing we did in 2019, before we launched any pilot, after we had did programming in 2018, was a student interest survey. And we put that out to mm-hmm. every middle school in our region to say, hey, have your students fill this out because we want to know what middle school, sixth to eighth grade girls think about science and mathematics. We want to know what they think about tech. Um, We um, put together a community dialogue and we facilitated what we call like community listening sessions with our school community. So we sat down with girls and then we sat down with parents and then we sat down with teachers. And it was this whole bunch of feedback collection to say like, what are our teachers saying that girls are like, you know, what what is what are the teachers who spend so much time with kids and that's so responsible for that nurturing think mm-hmm. about why girls opt out? What are girls themselves saying about why they kind of like lose that interest at that seventh and eighth grade? Yeah. And then what do parents want to know about STEM? What's going to get them to opt into a community based program? in STEM that they're gonna bring their kids to on Saturday. What is the buy-in for them? So I think we started with this very clear understanding that if this was gonna be about access, right? If we empower through exposure, then we have to have access and then our girls have access through proximity to our programming. And so we wanted to be like really, really clear about like who's informing our model and who forming how we design and how we build this out to make sure that we're actually doing this in the way that's going to benefit the community we say we want to serve approaching the the programming model from a holistic standpoint and right so those core values um really just laid the foundation for how we moved um and engaging with the broader community yeah, that makes sense. And, and I love that you actually, 
you know, before you even got started, you talked to um, all these people that do have, you know, a, a say or a role um, to play in your organization. And I'm curious, as you were talking about how the teachers, the parents and the girls themselves all gave input to maybe some of the barriers or challenges or, or how they view this. Did you see some commonalities between those or were the views between these different groups like pretty different or um yeah, I guess, how, what did that look like as you were beginning to inform the development of? Um, you know, I would say students said that they were distracted, right? You know, mm. our girls said, I have this other thing going on, so I don't want to do an after-school STEM program, right? Mm. Or like, I like math, or like me, uh, me or none of my friends are good at math, right? So it was either mm. a question of confidence and them not having confidence in themselves, but also them recognizing that adults and teachers and people who are there to instruct them didn't also necessarily believe that they can do good in, in certain subject areas, mm-hmm. right? So that mm-hmm. people are setting low expectations for us, right? And so then therefore we don't really have the confidence in ourselves or like I am just an impressionable middle schooler and like I'm going to go and do what my friends are doing. And so I'm distracted by all of these other things that's happening in the school environment. And that came across in a lot of different ways, right? In the way of like, I can't do this program because I have to go and do this other um, sports related thing or this other um art related thing or this mentoring program or like I want to be with my friends and they don't want to do this right and so it was this sense Mm -hmm. of like competing um attention you know and and typically like if me and my friends are not all into math we're not all going to be a part of the math league right and so and do what my friends are doing and I think parents were sort of like we have not been invited to take a a bigger place and responsibility in our students' education, mm-hmm. right? And the parents didn't feel like they kind of understood like what is STEM themselves. And then they didn't feel confident in their own math and science educational journey in K-12. So they didn't feel like they could support and really help their kid if their kid got super interested in taking advanced math and science, right? And so again, it was that lack of confidence and then that not feeling like they have the power and ownership to work cooperatively with teachers teachers and schools, right? And so you have that coming from parents. And then I think from teachers, they were just like overwhelmed. Um, and then they are a part of the school culture and really responsible and charged with facilitating the school culture. And oftentimes there's cultures within a culture, right? And you have girls and you can have these subset and this group of girls do this. And, you know, it's very easy for for more so for girls than boys, for them to just get in their silos of mm-hmm. what they're comfortable and what they do and what they don't do. And then they won't move from those. And I think what I what teachers realize is they do not have the depth of relationship necessary with these mm-hmm. students who they teach, who they educate mm-hmm. every day to convince them otherwise, right? Like yeah. when we went to teachers and we said, hey, we want a pilot in your middle school. We want to work with your girls as an after school program. You know, it was very few teachers that can that really could impress upon girls. Oh, no, you can be a part of this program. Like, it's not going to be too hard. It's not going to be challenging. You can do this. And even when girls showed up to participate, often they would like easily opt out. Right. And it's like pulling teeth to get them re-engaged. Yeah. 
because they just don't believe in themselves enough. Um, and I think often, you know, um, teachers, teachers don't have those relationships um, established enough. And then we're coming outside into a school culture. So we definitely didn't have those relationships initially to walk into a school culture and really cultivate the community that we were hoping for. And so it was a big sort of learning experience for us, um, but good information and insight nonetheless. How did you combat that? You said like it was hard for even you. If it's hard for the teachers to see these students every day, what were some big ways that you used to like combat that? Yeah, you know, I think with our after school programming, we did it for two semesters and then COVID hit. So, of course, like that put a wrench in our plan. And so I think we were still sort of building those foundations. We were still working with our dean of students to try to figure out what is going to work best for the school community. Um, And we really quite never got to that sweet spot of building those relationships and really building a program within a school culture, but I would say our Saturday community-based programming definitely has that sort of like culture of togetherness, identity, culture, and belonging that we want to simulate. And I think it's 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 easier because these kids don't have to go back to school together the next day. Right. These kids can come from different schools, different places in the city to a respective community site. And they're engaging sometimes across socioeconomic background. Maybe kids are in public. We had some kids that was in private school, but then some kids go to public charters. Right. So you had sort of this influx of kids from different communities. And so it was sort of like low barriers to take risks. I think what we saw was girls were more apt to take a risk, to fail, to not know than if they were in a school environment where they were going to like be with their friends and they were going to be with the people that see them and know them every day. It was like huh. they were like more open or free or something yeah. to like just like figure it out together. And it's OK if like nobody knows what we're doing initially. <laughs> And it, I think it removed those barriers of pressure of like kids being bullied or kids feeling or kids already having a perception of themselves in school, right? Like kids show up to school and they have an idea of like what type of student they are. And when they came to Saturday, it was like, okay, this is not school, right? We were very clear, like, this is not school. Here, you're not a student. Here, we're going to be scientists. Here, we're going to be explorers. Here, we're going to be curious, right? So it was like, it's no wrong, right? There's no right or wrong, get it right. It's like we're building and we're learning together. Um, And so I think that's how we were able to create a really good culture and environment in our Saturday programming right away, just by lowering that barrier, still setting high expectations, but lowering lowering that barrier for this idea of like, you have to like be this type of student person in this place. That makes a lot of sense. And I think I was thinking before, like what are the trade-offs between trying to go in and, and change the models that are already laid out for students like in school and at home versus having a new place for them. And I think you really put it well, like why it is so helpful to actually create a new space with a new environment and new expectations. And I'm curious, as you're looking forward, I know COVID has had you know an impact on, on everything that we had a, envisioned uh, for the future. But um, as you're thinking about the future of Black Girls Do STEM, are you thinking about 
you know, adding more programs in different places as you're, I know you've talked about expanding and I know you have a huge um, social media presence. So I'm curious about the balance of that and, and just where you see it kind of continuing to go. Yeah, everyone asks this and I think this is a great question. <laughs> Uh, we are absolutely looking to expand our capacity. You know, this is like what we're calling our capacity building year of 2020. And what that really <laughs> means is we have a regional plan in our St. Louis community to expand um, capacity year over year for the next three years until we get to a capacity of 240 girls. And right now in 2021, our capacity is 80. So that looks like securing additional community partners in our community in St. Louis. Um, it looks like securing local sponsors to actually sponsor these different sites as we expand our capacity. And it looks like for the first time, uh, bringing on staff um, part-time subject to them being full-time by the end of the year and not just being 100% volunteer-led. You know, our volunteers have done amazing work for us over these years. Years, but really sort of building out an infrastructure that's a little bit more sustainable um, as we move forward and understanding that that's going to require some level of staff to continue to increase our capacity. So we do have a three-year strategic plan that is really local to our St. Louis region about increasing our reach here. And then beyond that, we might go to different markets, but you know, we see Black Girls to STEM as sort of a Midwest regional program. And so we probably will go to different markets within the Midwest region and not necessarily venture outside of sort of like our Midwest zone. <laughs> Well, I think that's very in line with like the local community sort of needs finding that you've been doing, right? Like if you were to expand out, you'd have to like do some different yeah. like needs finding, right? So I think that right. that speaks to kind of like the um, methods that you've been using to make your um, programs like the most impactful. Yeah. So it makes sense. <laughs> um, so we'll continue to build out our community-based program, our school partners here locally um, until we reach a capacity of, again, about 200, 240 girls. And, and then we'll be rocking and rolling. <laughs> well, from that's awesome. Um, and from like all of this experience and planning, dealing with all these different challenges, this unexpected time, what advice would you give to someone who maybe wanted to start a local initiative as you did, like think back to when you were just like, I just want to do programming. It didn't have to look like a nonprofit. What advice do you wish you had or would you give someone today? I think you got to know, know your why, right? As much as Black Girls mm -hmm. STEM has more, it still continues to stick to the why of why I started it. And I think my why is unique. But I think Black Girls Do STEM and the story of the organization will incorporate so many different um, stories and so many different women and so many different whys, right? Um, and really understanding that I wanted this to be like a collective celebration of sort of like Black women in STEM, right? It started as like a social media awareness campaign celebrating Black women in STEM. Right. And so understanding that the girls that come through our program and their stories are going to add to like this collective mission and this collective why. Right. And so I think 
anytime you're doing something for people, you have to be very clear on why you're doing it. And you got to do it with people first and people in mind. Um, And so I try to like stick to that very closely because like, although I have to do all of these other things, I never really envisioned having to do because I just wanted to do programming. Like I understand that like, in order to do programming, in order for these girls to cultivate their curiosity and their STEM capability and to move through this pipeline and enter that workforce and have that career and that confidence that I have to be over here doing all of these other things that I'm less than thrilled about, right? You know, it keeps it keeps me motivated, right? When it like if I could just like go to size and sit and talk to kids, right? But like yeah you know, to run an organization, you have to like have so many heads and kind of keep your feet on the gas at all times. And so I think in those really, really hard moments where it could be really overwhelming and almost easy to say, you know what, like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I think that why and that realization that like, here comes my army of black girls. This is what I tell myself. There is an army of black girls. Okay. And and there they are coming. And so for me, I think staying aligned with like why you're doing it, it's going to be so essential because it's going to be so many moments in which you say, this is too much, right? Like, and you feel a little overwhelmed. That's such great advice, I think, for anything in life, really. So we really, yeah, appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think it's going to make me do some reflecting on my whys after this uh, interview, too. Yeah, before we ask our last question, we could just share how people can learn more about you and how people can get involved um, in Black Girls Do STEM. Yeah, so you can continue to learn about me and my work by looking and listening to other podcasts, such as the biomechanics on our mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So Black Girls Do STEM has a website. It's bggstem.com, bggstem.com. And it has all of the information. Our biggest ask right now is that you volunteer, partner, donate, right? And we have volunteer orientations taking place. Yes, you can be outside of our local St. Louis region to volunteer in several capacities. Um, And they're at the end of every month, um, January, February, March, for you to get involved. And then we'll start back up in the fall recruiting volunteers pretty heavily. Um, We're looking for partners. Um, Yes, we're looking for local community partners, but we're also looking for partners that can help us with different curriculum modules um, and bring in different equipment, et cetera, uh, for some of the curriculum that we're going to be building out over this year and the next uh, for, again, our STEM exploratory learning program. And then donate. Right now, we launched in 2021 with the of securing 200 recurring donors making a $40 a month donation to our organization. And so we're saying if you make that, if you take that ask and you make that $40 recurring donation for the year, you're sponsoring one girl for the entire program year. And you're also helping us to build in that capacity and be able to bring on the staff members that we hope to bring on this year. And so be a doer, believe with us and help black girls do STEM. Um, And you can also find more information about the doer campaign what we're going to spend the funds on uh, where we're at in our goal also on our website 
So that's a big way, you know, follow us on all social media, BGD STEM, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, but right now we're really um, heavily recruiting um, on doers, people who want to support our work and honor our work with their finances by making that $40 a month donation. Thank you for sharing all that with us. There's so many ways to get involved and it seems like, yeah, with that many options, it's really amazing and inspiring to really try to be a doer and try to get involved um, in some way. So we're wondering, what are you most excited about for the future of Black Girls Do STEM? Uh, what am I most excited about? I'm most excited about the impact. Like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited to see the girls sort of like come in in sixth grade and exit the STEM exploratory learning in ninth grade and then continue on all of our support pathway programs um, as high schoolers. I'm really excited about, you know, seeing girls light up and get curious and go down that tunnel of innovation and questioning and really flexing that cognitive and mental um, toughness you know, I think oftentimes we equate STEM to this elite big thing and it's like, oh, you have to be a genius or you have to do this. And it's like, no, you can be a visual learner. You can be a kinesthetic learner. You could be an audible learner. There's a lot of ways in which you can have some type of affinity to a STEM career pathway. So I'm just really excited to see girls tap in to all of those natural abilities that they may have and realize for themselves that a certain STEM career pathway is for them. And so it is our job to facilitate learning is what I like to say, right? Like it's not our job to come and tell kids what they ought to be doing, um, the careers they should go into and the things they must be good at. It is us to put a plethora of opportunity and experience and exposure in front of them and let them explore and then flex the muscles to see what it is that they love and that they're good at mm. um, and say, hey, there's a STEM career pathway right here for you that you can do exactly this really cool thing. Um and, and again, guide and sort of facilitate without sort of dominating the conversation around what's for them and what's not for them. And so I think I'm just really excited about the process. Like, I just believe in this vision so much. And I just believe in the capability of our youth. Um, I believe Black women and Black girls are somewhat of an undertapped resource. Uh, we see the number of women, you know, sort of climbing across some industries um, and disciplines, others not so much. And we see sort of like black women just saying snack stagnant and we keep hearing the same things you know people don't you know there's low expectations or like I get to higher education and I don't have support systems and structures in place I feel isolated and alone and I think about my undergrad and my and my graduate school and all of those instances where I felt those same things and so like just really being a network of support even beyond the k-12 pipeline is something we also look forward to and having those girls come back after their STEM professionals um, and, and do some work with our youth, you know, just really creating like this pathway that just continues to feed back and continues to recycle and do this amazing work on behalf of community um, and on behalf of girls. It sounds like a true like family or community, right? Like you go through and then you also come back and help others go through. And like, I think that's at the core of humanity. That's what we're here for, right? Like, um, um, so I think it's beautiful that you've been able to find really impactful ways to do that. And um, 
the facilitate learning is such an important framing. Like, I think I've heard this, the saying, like, don't prepare the path for your kids, but prepare your kids for the path. So it's like, don't just try to like force them down a path, but like, make like exactly what you're saying, give them all these opportunities and let them explore. And so, yeah, it's so, it's so cool to hear you talking about that and sharing your experiences. So thank you for Thank you for being here today. I'm always, look, I can talk about this day in and day out. <laughs> <laughs> this is my film, you know. And so, yes, I am just, I'm, I'm excited um, to continue to get the word out, to get the message out. Excited, you know, even for, you know, podcasts like yours and women like you guys who are out here sort of like, you know, increasing visibility and amplifying voices um, of people doing this type of work. So extremely grateful. Yeah, well, we are too. We can feel your excitement even through Zoom and, you know, it's making us really excited and inspired. And so we're really happy to be able to share your story with other people and and let that, let your story resonate with them. So yeah, Yeah. thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you guys. And again, anyone... BGD STEM um, is our handle on all social media. Um, we're going to be on LinkedIn here shortly, but we're not quite on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Cynthia. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for listening to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa. And I'm Hannah. And you can follow Biomechanics on Our Minds on Twitter at BiomechanicsOOM. Or you can email us if you have any research fails or just anything you'd like to share or like you'd, you'd like to hear on Boom at BiomechanicsOnOurMinds at gmail.com. Thank you to Peter Washington for making the music to our podcast. We love all the tracks. They're so great. And a big thank you to the International Society of Biomechanics for sponsoring us and spreading the boom love. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom.